I want to uh, start here at Numbers chapter 13, and then we'll wrap it all up and finish up this series. I think today's sermon is going to be very helpful to you because, you know, well, we'll jump in in a second. Let's look at this. Numbers 13 and 1, it reads, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all the men who were heads of the children of Israel. Jump down to verse 16. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Now, I'm not finished reading, but I do want to say this. I think this is a pivotal uh, nugget here. And this nugget says that the guy that we know as Joshua got his name changed right before they went into the promised land. And it's interesting because uh, uh, his name actually meant Hosea or Hoshe meant salvation. Joshua means God saves. Same name or same different name, same intent, but there's a change happening here in Joshua as he's about to step over into his promise. Listen, when you get close to obtaining what God said you would obtain, change happens in you. You hear me? And so for many of us, we fight change. Don't fight change because change means you're getting closer to the promise. And see, some stuff has to change in you so you won't mishandle the promise. And so God waits right until that entry point like it's about to happen. And out of nowhere, he becomes Joshua. And we understand that Joshua is the guy that leads them actually over into the promised land. Moses dies, never gets there. But the change happens there. Look at verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land the land of Canaan, and said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage. Bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the seasons of the first grapes. Verse 23. Let's jump down there. It says, then they came to the valley of Eskol. And there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between them, uh, between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eskol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. 
and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the generation or the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told them and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The uh, Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go against this people for they are stronger than we. And they have the children and, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is the land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are of great statue. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in their own sight. And so we were in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So far, our scripture reading today, I want to end up our series on focus with this thought, focus on the right thing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this moment, this preaching moment. We ask that you open our hearts, that we will hear that which you have to say. I ask Lord Jesus that you would give us direction, make clear the places in us that are unclear. I pray today that you will speak your word to your people. Now think through my mind. Speak through my mouth. Give me clarity of thought and agility of wit. Allow me to talk in the power of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we finish up this series, I want to go back real quick and look at our definitions that we started in this series about what focus is, because I don't want us to miss it or forget what focus is. So focus, we said, is the center of activity, attraction, or attention. Focus is, listen, a point of concentration. Focus is directed attention. So I told you before when we started this series that focus is much like money or like a gun, that neither are bad or good. It depends on who holds the money, who holds the gun. Okay? Focus is like that because you can use focus to push you in the right direction. But in like manner, you could take focus and focus on the wrong thing and push you in the wrong way. You hear me? So focus, listen, it is directed attention 
Although you say, you know what, I feel like I'm focused today. The question is, what are you focused on? Because what you focus on determines which direction you head. And so I want to show you something here in this journey with the children of Israel. They were on their way to the promised land. But right here at the entrance, they have gone these 40 years in the wilderness. They are at the entrance of the promise. And some stuff jumps off because they have a challenge with focusing on the right thing. Throughout this journey, the children of Israel have focused on the wrong stuff throughout the journey. They have had some issues and challenges for 40 years. The truth of it is, the people that are walking over into the promised land are actually the children of the people who started. Not because, you know, well, they were just old people and there's just a process of life and they died. We're just talking about 40 years. And think about it now, back in that day, they lived to be 100 plus. So there were, there's a whole generation or a big part of a generation that did not make it because God killed them because they complained. I know, we don't want to talk about that. The truth of the matter is the children of Israel, many of them had a spirit of complaining. You got to go back and look at it because I think it's really interesting. If you read it in the book of Deuteronomy or you can read it in the book of Numbers, you'll find that they complained about everything. They complained. They didn't want to walk through. Listen, here they come to the Red Sea and the Red Sea opens up for them. Watch the miracle because, see, people want to say that the Red Sea was not a miracle. Well, it was a miracle in more than one way because the water split. And then there's some meteorologists that say, well, that's not a miracle because there could be a wind so strong that it could push the waters aside. Oh, okay, if that's what you want to say. But the text says that they walked across on dry land. That wind ain't that strong to dry mud through and through so that they can walk on a solid surface. So it wasn't just that the water parted, but they went through. So they complained on the front end because they was like, here we are, stuck in between the water and Pharaoh's coming. So we mad at Moses. We should have stayed back there and died. They get through that. God brings a miracle for them. Because when the last person steps on shore, the water closes up and the enemy dries up in the water, drowns in the water. They complain. So God has done that for them. They complain because they didn't have meat. So God sends quail. Before that, they complained simply because they were hungry. And God sent manna. Okay? Manna, the word being Hebrew word being what is it? Nobody knew what it was. But God sent it and told them, y'all can go out there and collect it. But after a certain time, it's going to mold and, and rot. So y'all can't keep it. In other words, you're going to have to trust me every day. God showed up showed out on their behalf, and they complained. They wanted meat. He, they said, we tired of this. We could have stayed back in, uh, in Egypt and had onions and leek, and we would have been fine, and they wanted some meat. So God sent quail. 
They had quail. They thirsty. They crying. We could have stayed back in Egypt. It's amazing to me how you can be in bondage. But because you're a little uncomfortable in freedom, bondage looks better. That's just amazing to me how that how that works out. People will 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 complain about being free because they're uncomfortable. But would rather be comfortable in bondage. Look at your neighbor. Say you crazy. I know y'all don't want to say it. Pastor, just say pastor told me to say it. You know, you've been wanting to say it anyway. You're just crazy. So 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 you're out there. God is meeting every need. Now, it's challenging, no doubt. Because nobody obtains a God-given promise and it be easy. Nobody. James Cleveland said, I don't believe he brought me this far to leave me. Why? Nobody told me that the road would be easy. And I'm glad they didn't, James, because anything that God has ordained for you, it's going to cost you something. You hear me? Anything that's going to bring you to a place where you are satisfied in life, it's going to cost you something. So anyway, they complained about that. They didn't have water. They complained about that. And then uh, uh, they complained because the water was bitter. Then God gave them fresh water. They got at another place in the journey, and they complained that uh, they didn't have any water. and, And God told Moses to go and strike the rock. Let me tell you something that I think is really interesting. And this is not what I come to preach about, but I do want you to know how to deal with complaining people. Every time the people complained, Moses and Aaron laid on their face before God. The way you deal with disgruntled people, don't give them a piece of your mind. Go lay on your face before God and he will handle it. Because not only did they complain, they threatened to stone their leaders. And so their leaders was like, God, these people, your people. Threaten to kill us. What are we going to do? So then they complained about leadership. God sent fire and burned everybody. Listen, everybody that was on the outskirts of the city, he sent fire out there and killed them all. God did because they were complaining. It's amazing how the people who complain are always the people on the outside, but never the people that are up front and close. The real workers don't complain, but those who don't do anything complain, and they stand out there, and God sent the fire out there. I know. I know. I knew that wasn't going to go over well. So then they complained about something else, and God sent serpents to bite them. Some of them died. Moses went back to them and said, hey, 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 hey. He went back to God and said, hey, can you not kill all these people, please? He says, all right, take one of the serpents, lift it up. Everybody that look at it will be healed. Listen, God was with these people over and over and over again, and they still complained. If God's people will complain on God's journey, surely you're going to have some people in your life that complain. You know how your kids always complain about something? They eating but still complaining about, like you eating food that you didn't even buy and you complaining? That's just amazing to me. So, I mean, if God's people complain to him, surely your people are going to complain to you. Go pray to God about it. Ask God to send down some fire, shut them all up. <laughs> and we'll all, be, we'll all be good. So anyway, they go through this journey, and they are now, guys, at the place 
of the promise. And Moses says, this is what God says. God says, hey, I want you to send some spies over there and check out the land. Now, I was, I was, uh, I, I kind of wanted to say, now, Lord, if this is your promise and you've kept them all this time, why? Why exactly do we have to go spy out the land? You told us that it was a land of milk and honey. You told us that. You told us it was a great land. You told us that it was a land that was inhabited, but you also told us that you was going to make sure. You told our forefathers that we would get this land, right? Question is, why do we have to go spy it out? God says, because you need to have a realistic view of the battle that's in front of you. See, some of us feel like because God has said it, that I don't need to have a strategy for, the, for obtaining it. Okay, okay. He says to them, I want you to go. Look at the land. Why, Lord? Because you need a realistic assessment of what's in front of you. See, that's how God operates. When you look at, uh, we just dealt with it the other week, Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20. He says, you will not need to fight in this battle. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. He says, but you do need to show up at the battlefield because you need to see the salvation of the Lord. You need to see the obstacles and the challenges and the issues that God is about to wipe out on your behalf. Think about it. If it was just so easy, we wouldn't need to speak to the mountain. He says, I want you to speak the mount to the mountain because I want you to walk up to it and see how big this thing really is so you can understand how your faith really works. You see what I'm saying? So, so he says to them, go and spy out the land so you can get a real assessment of what's going on. You are not going to have to fight, but listen, you will need to have a strategy to obtain the promise. Because God is not the silver spoon kind of God. Did you know that? I know in this, this age of entitlement, we live in an age where we say, God, because I'm your child, you should be doing this for me. Now, come on. Would that work with your child? Because I'm your child, you ought to just buy me a car. Well, sure, that should work the other way. Because I'm your parent, you should buy me a car. I mean, come on. If one logic works, the other works. I mean, in, in, in Middle Eastern culture, after a certain age, y'all work to take care of us. No, I couldn't get no amens right there. The parents should have been like, yes, I'm moving to Japan. So listen, so he says, uh, what he started talking to me about was, you need to be able to see this. You got to have a realistic assessment of what's happening because you need to be able to build a strategy. Hear me clearly. You have to focus on the right thing so that you can see what you need to do to obtain the promise. This text that we read today is, uh, is the perfect example of focus. One group focused on the wrong thing. The other group focused on the right thing, or the other person 
which was uh, Joshua. It was Joshua and Caleb. Caleb focused on the right thing. So the question is now, when you say to me, Pastor, I'm focused, I believe you. Because here's what I believe. I believe focus comes. Focus comes almost like breath. What are you focusing on? Okay? Some people have had accidents in their cars because they were focused on the wrong thing. Focus happens. So, listen, to me the worst thing is when I can't focus on nothing. That's when I'm tired. I can't seem to focus on anything, the right or the wrong. I just can't focus. However, most of us operate and flow in a space where focus is a part of our life. But we have to make the right decisions to focus on the right thing. So here's what it said. Moses, send out some spies to go and check out the land. All right. Moses says, OK, cool. That's what I'll do. They go over. And I love Moses's uh, when you when you read it. Moses has a plan or a strategy for spying out the land. I mean, really, when you look at it, this is James Bond. This is James Bond in in ancient days because he gives them a plan. 007, here is your mission. Here is your mission. No, no, no. That's Mission Impossible. Sorry. That's uh, Ethan. Ethan, here is your mission. Should you choose to accept it, I want you to go over there and check out the land. Don't just check out the land. I want to know. Take some soil samples. Tell me if it's rich or poor. Okay? I want you to go over there and see if the people are strong or weak. I want you to get some reconnaissance, and I want you to take some pictures and tell me if their cities are just city camps or are they fortified walls. I mean, Moses is like, pow, pow, pow. When I was reading this, I was like, I am impressed. Because Moses didn't have technology. He just had a God who told him how to strategize. You hear what I'm saying? And so he says, I want you to go over and look at all that. I need you to get some fruit samples and tell me what's happening. So they go. 40 days. It's amazing to me how God made them wait 40 days after going through the wilderness for 40 years. He says, if you can hang out 40 years, surely you can wait 40 more days to get this promise. So we get ready to set it up. So the guys go. They get it. They say that when they get in there, it was the season, Moses says, the text says that uh, it was the season of uh, new grapes. So it was the beginning of something happening over there. The text says they go over there, they cut down the grapes, and the grapes were so big that they hang them on a pole and carrying them shoulder or either between them this way or between them this way, but huge grapes. So everybody gets back. Now, can you imagine the journey back? We have one group who have focused on the wrong thing, and they were saying, we ain't going to be able to do this. Did you see them dudes down there? Man, them some big dudes. Have you, I mean, we can't, we can't fight them. There's no way. They're huge. Their cities are fortified, so they got great position and angles. We can't do this. But then there's Caleb on the other side who says, oh, I can't wait. 
I can't wait to get this. We got this. We got this in the bag. Oh, I can see now we're going to stomp them. I can't wait to build my house over there on the other side of them grapes. Them grapes are so huge. This is amazing. And so we got, we got one group who was like, we're doomed. We got another group was like, I'm getting ready to build a winery out here. I mean, this is going to be, I'm going to be the first millionaire in God's camp because this is just great stuff. This is amazing. So they get back and they start talking and everybody agrees. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what they say. That's what you said it was. It is. We brought back some of the fruit. Look at these grapes, these pomegranates, and these figs. Absolutely amazing. And so Caleb is like, yep, boy, I can't wait. And then it turns. Hey, man, but them people down there big. We can't beat them. And Caleb's like, whoa. And so the people are getting, like, antsy now. Oh, oh, my God, they're going to kill us. And so now everything's going downhill. And before Moses can respond, Caleb steps up, and he says, hey, everybody calm down. I'm, I'm thinking that we need to go down here and just finish this right now because we are well able. One guy, all the rest of them says, no, 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 no. We cannot do this. No way. God is not pleased with their view of what they saw. If you go to chapter uh, 14, we find that the spies all of the spies, except Joshua and Caleb, God kills them because they saw the wrong thing. That's just amazing to me because God says, I sit y'all down there to build a strategy on how to take the land. You went down there and brought back a report of how you could not take the land. Somebody was focused on the wrong thing. Watch. And God says, I cannot, I cannot allow that spirit to infect everybody else. I'm going to have to kill them. See, God doesn't play with this negative spirit thing. He don't play. See, y'all the one want to keep trying to change people. You got negative people in your bunch of friends and you just be like, no, we're just going to pray for them. God said, kill them. Kill them. Not kill them, kill them, but get them out of your group because it was, listen, it was a majority. And the majority said, we can't do this. The minority says, we can. So it's this one itsy bitsy small voice against the multitude. And God says, I'm hearing your voice because you're the only one who heard mine. So here. Let me, give you these, let me give you these nuggets and we're going to get out of here. I'm done. You got to focus on the right thing. Everybody say, focus on the right thing. Now that's, that's, important. that's important for you to let soak in because there's always a right thing and a wrong thing to focus on. Always. And let me be clear. I don't care how saved you are. I don't care how Holy Ghost filled you are, you still got the option of focusing on the wrong thing. Y'all hear me? I mean, listen, we, everybody struggles with it. I struggle with it today. 
and I say it all the time, every time. It's probably good that I do this every once in a while. Do not use this against me, Pastor Arkeisha, but every once in a while it's good for me to lead worship because I have to see what they deal with weekly. What do, what do you mean, Pastor? That when we started worship today, nobody was in here. And so, I, oh, I'm not fussing. This is not a fuss. I'm just I'm trying to tell you. I was like, oh, he about to get me because I was like, yes, 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 you are. But that's, 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 that's not where I'm going, so breathe. That's not where I'm going. It was foggy. I know you missed your turn. I know. But what happens is when you're standing here, band, singers, and there's nobody in the room, you get an opportunity to focus on the right thing or the wrong thing. You know what I'm saying? So today I just talked to the chairs and I prophesied to them. I talked to everybody that was standing up on, against the walls because I got an opportunity to focus on the right thing or the wrong thing. It was my opportunity to focus and prophesy in here when y'all wasn't here. So what I really prophesied, though, I prophesied that it'd be so many people in here that when y'all get here, y'all don't have a seat. Okay. Okay. So you can laugh at it if you want to, but it's going to come. And I don't, don't nobody come up to me. Don't nobody send me an email. About, you know, Pastor, I've been a member of this church for a long time. That's the problem. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, where was I going? <laughs> I just stepped over into another lane. So anyway, so you get this opportunity to focus. And so in, in doing what we do here, I could focus on the fact that there's nobody here and I, I'm, I'm frustrated and discouraged, or I could focus on the fact that the worship that we sing anyway is to God. Okay. I could focus on the fact that that's, that's, that's okay because now I get a chance to prophesy to the seats, okay? I could focus on the fact that, hey, they're just late, they're coming, it's okay. But you get the opportunity with every situation to focus on the good or the bad, the right or the wrong. Focus is very rarely, very rarely your problem. The problem is which direction will you focus? How do you choose to see it? When you have a bad day at work, how do you choose to see it? Are you just about to quit? Or is it just, it's just a day? We'll do it again tomorrow. When you have rough times at home, how do you choose to see it? We'll get through it. It'll be all right. How do you choose to manage and navigate with this focus? So I want you to see something here that you got to do. There's uh, four things that you got to do if you want to focus on the right thing. Here's number one. You have to listen to what God says. Now I want to pull up uh, uh, Numbers 13 and 1. And I want you all to see something that I think everybody missed. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men out, uh, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Watch this. Here's the line. Which I am giving to the children of Israel. Stop. In the command to go and get a realistic, realistic assessment, he says in the instruction, what his plan was. His plan, which he has already said 400 years ago, he says, I am going to give y'all this land. See? That's like me saying, David, 
go outside to that Maserati and just look at it and the, the Maserati that I'm going to give you, and I want you to inspect it. Just look over it. Tell me if it's a good car. And then you go out there and you start looking at the tires and you're like, wow, this is like the top of the line tires. These tires are probably $1,000 a piece. And these rims, like this car is probably $175,000. This is a great car. It's fantastic. But I can't afford that. I don't even know what he's thinking about. Why would he even send me out here to look at it? And then you come back and you give me all of this. It's a great car, Pastor, but I can't afford this. I don't even know. This is way out of my budget. This is going to bankrupt me. I'm going to be a laughingstock if I start driving this car and then lose it. I can't even afford the insurance. Do you know? And you step over the fact that I said, Go out there and look at the car that I'm about to give you. You see? And so what happens now, ah, that's what I forgot this morning. I meant to bring my camera. Because my camera has a lens on it. And the thing about the camera is that the camera is like the gun, is like the money, and is like focus, that it in and of itself cannot focus without somebody handling it. But when the person who understands what they're supposed to be capturing grabs that camera and tweaks the lens, focuses the lens, then he or she, and it's amazing though, because when you get those kinds of cameras, if you do not know what you're doing, you cannot take good pictures. Because one of those, those kind of cameras, they are, that particular camera is a prosumer camera. A professional could use it, or just a consumer who's just learning, but you still have to know. You have to know about the settings. You have to know, in this particular setting, I need this kind of light. So I have to open the iris to let more light in. If you do not know that, it could be the most expensive camera in the world, and it still will give you crappy photos. But when the right person grabs the lens, he or she knows how to make the right settings. It, our life is just like that. When you allow God to hold the lens of your life, he will help you focus on the right thing and not the wrong thing. So he says to them, hey, I'm getting ready to get them this land. I just want you all to go and build a strategy as how you're going to get it. I just need you to know what, you, what, what we got going on. Go over there and look at the land. And, and so... He says it in the instruction, but for some reason, those that went to spy along with Caleb and Joshua did not remember what God has said. Let me say this to you. As you step over into the last month of the year and headed toward a new year, you cannot lose focus because it seems like what you thought was going to happen didn't. I can tell you personally, the opposite of everything I thought was going to happen, happened, okay? But what you have to remember is that God has said something to you. And what you need to do is listen for what God is saying. Our challenge is we get so emotional that we stop listening. You ever seen those shows where the person gets so hysterical and somebody just has to slap them? Don't you? I've like always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to. I've just never been in a situation where a person was just that hysterical that you just like, 
And you know there's no repercussions. You know, you just want that. But anyway. So you have to make sure that you're not so hysterical, so emotional, so discouraged or whatever it is that you are, that you forget that God is actively speaking. And in his instructions, hear me, he reveals his heart for you in his instructions. Go spy the land. It's, listen, it's like, it's like having a child and you're saying to the child, I want you to go up there and clean your room because I need to know how many new pairs of shoes you need. And the kid only hears, go clean your room. And so then it's, <sighs> it's like, wait, did you hear what I said? You hear what I just said? I said, go clean your room so we can decide on how many pairs of shoes you need, which means I'm in a position in the frame of mind. My heart is open to buy you shoes, not just one pair. How many pairs of shoes do you need? But you so mad that you have to stop what you're doing to do what I tell you to do, that you're missing the intent of my heart. Come on, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And that's what God is saying to us. God gives us instructions. Don't do that. Don't say that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this. I want you to go and apply here and do this and do that. I want you to clean out all of that stuff in your closet because there's, listen, y'all heard about the people that just won $108 million? After several years, they were cleaning out their garage or cleaning out something and found a lottery ticket. And it was only two days away from expiring. Did y'all hear about that? That's just last week. The couple won $1.8 million of a ticket they had had for years. I guess you're about to clean everything you got, ain't you? <laughs> 1.8 million. <laughs> but God wants to reveal his heart in the instructions that he gives you. So listen, you have to listen carefully. So number one, if you're going to focus on the right thing, you got to listen. Number two, you need to look for the signs. The text says in verse 23 that they came to the valley of Eskol and cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between the two of them on a pole and they brought some pomegranates and figs. So listen, you got to look for the signs. Here's the sign. The sign was this is fertile ground, guys. Not to mention that they did confirm that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. That was a sign. First of all, you got to listen to him. Number two, you got to be attentive to know this is what you want me to do. When God gives instruction for your life, you need to be aware. You need to be focused so that way you can see the signs. God, I see you. That's you right there. That's the confirmation I needed. I've been waiting for this. This is because you keep thinking that the confirmation may come from some lofty place, but it could come from the cubicle next door to you. And so that way you have to look for the signs. You have to be focused. And listen, you got to be rest assured that God wants to speak to you. And when we start talking about coming into the promises of God and, and, and him following through on what he said, he's going to do what he said. But you have to look for the signs. Be aware. 
because God is going to bring it to pass. But he wants to let you know this is the place. If they had any doubt before they even saw the giants, they got the confirmation that this is the place. Milk, honey, big grapes, pomegranates and figs. Listen, if I've been in the wilderness all 40 years and fighting and, and eating manna and quail, do you know how hard I was going to fight to get over there to get some grapes, some pomegranates and figs? I will kill anything. I don't want, Lord, I love you, but I don't know, I don't want no more of this manna. I don't even know what it is. Thank you. But I do know what these grapes are and they're huge. You got to look for the signs. And so before anything else went down, they saw this is a great place. And so what you got to do is be attentive enough. Focus your attention. Set yourself to look for the signs. So number one, you got uh, you got to listen to what God says. You got to look for the signs. Number three, you got to remember what he's done. Here's our challenge. Our challenge is sometimes life is so overwhelming and it's so dark at the time we forget that God has been good. You hear me? I have, I have, I have, uh, here recently, I've had a couple of conversations with people who are facing, waiting for uh, test results regarding cancer. And with every conversation, I say to them, I said, I got a friend named Tim who did this, 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 and this. The doctor said this, this, and this. Sent him to a surgeon, and while sending him, he said, ain't no need to go on, but go ahead. That surgeon says, no cancer, sir. I remember, and in telling them, it lifts their spirits. But when I remember, it lifts mine. You hear me? And sometimes God has to take you through some stuff so that you can see him do the opposite of what man says. And, I, and the thing that stresses me is that conversation. Me and you sitting at the table and we talking about how we're going to take care of Keisha and this funeral. We, we talked about that stuff, y'all. Do you know how devastating those conversations are? And how life-changing it is to remember that God did that. And if you can't find anything in your life, go to Tim's page, Facebook, Beat Cancer and Ride. They chronicle the whole thing so that way you can watch how God moved from tears of sadness to tears of joy with Keisha standing about out there talking about that man, the doctor. So you got to remember. That's why you got to have, listen, that's why you got to share some stuff too. And it's amazing to me, all these Christians, don't, I don't want nobody to know what I'm going through. Hey, man, God may be ready to kick the door of your life in and work a miracle so somebody else can be blessed. But you sitting over here talking about don't tell nobody. God says, well, since you're not going to tell nobody, you handle it because I'm all about the press. You do know God wants the press, right? What do you mean by that? God wants you to tell somebody that you know of somebody or that he has done great things in your life. It's called a testimony. Yeah. So you got to remember 
what God has done for you. Listen, woe to the man who forgets what God has done. The text says that that uh, every nation that forgets God shall be turned into hell, sent to hell. That's why I worry about our country. I worry about our country because we forget God in every turn. And we persecute when people want to stand up and say Jesus. They get persecuted. We want to say God, our Father. Uh, what's the thing they don't want to say anymore uh, in the national anthem? One nation under God. Are you kidding me? We cannot forget what God has done for us as a nation, as a people. We cannot forget what he's done in your personal life. So what God is really saying to the children of Israel is, y'all got to remember, I'm about to take you. I set you to look at for 40 days a land flowing with milk and honey because you've been walking for 40 years. And I want you to just take a shorter trip. 40 days to see that I got you covered. I have brought you through all of that. Took you out of Pharaoh's hand. Told you I'd do it and brought you all the way here. You got to focus on the right stuff. And if you're going to do that, you got to remember what God has done for you. Maybe it was the darkest moment of your life. But you didn't lose anything doing it. Maybe you thought you wasn't going to come out. But when you came to yourself, you were out of it. That's because God carried you. You got to remember, here's, here's, uh, here's, number last, here's the last one, number four. You got to believe that he will do what he said. This is where your faith comes in and your focus has to shift to the God of your salvation. I don't know what you're worried about. And I don't know what it is that you see today as a giant. But what I know is this. If God has promised to carry you through it, you got to focus on the right thing. Because there's always obstacles. There's always challenges. There's always hard moments. There's a wall here and there that you may run into. But you got to remember that he will do what he says. And you just got to believe him. Got to believe him. It's amazing how, uh, you can play Jeremy. It's amazing how death brings you to a place of questioning your theology. So my sisters and I have had conversations here lately, and my sister Regina asked, so, so now do we think that daddy got his crown? We think he got his crown yet? And because uh, initially we were talking about, it, you know, it's hard to let go of the natural. So when it turned cold, real cold last week, you know, my sister was like, I hate to think about my daddy in that cold ground like that. And I said, well, he ain't there. That's just his shell. I said, the truth of the matter is he lived and taught us to live in a way that his soul went to a place that we don't have to worry about it being too cold or too hot. I think, I think God got central air in heaven. He, he manages it well. I said, but, I said, I don't necessarily think he got his crown yet because it's not judgment day. That's a part of the judgment. 
I said, but here's the thing. We'll always have question marks in our theology. I said, but that's what makes our faith, our faith. Because there's some things we don't know. And because we have faith, we believe that at the end of it all, we'll understand it better, as the old saints would say, by and by. And I said, it's, it's, it's the hard moments of life that come to challenge your faith. But when your faith is challenged, you have to resolve to just believe. You got to believe that God loves you enough to bring you through it unscathed. You got to believe that if he takes you through it, he'll stay with you all the way and you're going to be better for having gone through it. You got to believe that your trials do make you strong. You got to believe that 40 years in the wilderness, if he ain't left y'all then, he's not going to leave you now. And regardless of what looks like a giant, God is in control of it all. Caleb saw something that couldn't nobody else see. Caleb says, hey, we need to go take it now because their shadow has left them. Whatever it was that was making them strong and keeping them victorious has left them. And now we are the victors. We need to now go in, overtake them, get everything. And I want to encourage y'all in this focus series as we close it, that you got to focus on the right stuff because the wrong stuff is always in front of you. And it just depends on how you see it. And I'm going to tell you that it's going to always be more negative folk than it will be positive folk. There's some people you need to shut out. You don't have time for negativity. If God said, go get the business, start it. Don't let your friends tell you, now ain't the time. You know they said there's a downturn in the market. That's good because when my upturned God tells me to go start the business, it's going to make him look way bigger than everybody else that says don't do it because now's a bad time. God says go do it now. Go do it now. Are you going to focus on the right thing? Or are you going to keep focusing on the wrong thing? Listen. The wrong thing will lead you in the wilderness, leave you in the wilderness, and take you back to bondage. But don't get this close to good ground. Don't get this close to huge grapes. Don't get this close to the best situation you've ever been in. And because it looks hard, you turn around. If God said it, he'll bring it to pass. As a matter of fact, he says, I know the thoughts that I have concerning you, thoughts of good and not evil, thoughts that will bring you into a future and a hope. And if God has said yes to your promised land, you got to go. You hear me? You got to go. I believe that Caleb would have gone and fought, fought everybody by himself if he had to. Eventually they get over there because it was the promise. They get there. But it's amazing to me how close people get to their promise and they turn around because it looks hard. Repeat after me, I will focus on the right thing no matter how it looks.